chapter 24 is where we're going to be uh, studying. We're going through the entirety of the Bible. That way you take everything in context. You don't leave anything out. And uh, so it's important that we understand the fullness of God's word. Following the service again, as uh, Shannon shared, we uh, have for everyone uh, a meal afterwards. You say, well, I didn't bring anything. It's not really a potluck. It's just something we do together once a month, uh, fellowshipping together, eating together, breaking bread, and I think you'll have a really good time and a very good meal if you can stay after. If you're new visiting here in the Southern Idaho area, just to let you know, the waterfall down the street here is chugging wide open, and so it's really Really something to see. The Bible says the voice of God is heard in many waters. I oftentimes will go there and, and just listen to the waterfall hitting and going down and crashing on the water below. And I'm thinking, wow, God, it's so awesome. And yet your word says your voice is like that. It's powerful. And so anyway, this morning, if you have your Bible, chapter 24 of Genesis Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would come now and teach us that this wouldn't just be ink on paper, but God, that your word, as you say, will come alive and change our lives. And so we ask you to do this now in Jesus name. Amen. Chapter 22, as we remember, as we studied in the past, dealt with the sacrifice or the attempted sacrifice of Isaac when God says, offer up your son, your only son. We saw the interesting, undeniable parallel between God the Father offering up his son for us uh, on the very same mount, Mount Moriah. Now, again, we know it is Mount Calvary, but we find now as we move into chapter 23, the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. She was 127 years old. I can't imagine being older than her. And so when you stop to think that back before, or maybe I should say right after the flood, and before the flood, people lived to be about 1,000 years old. Something within us breaks down. Science tells us that really we should live to be much older than we are, but something doesn't allow the cells to reproduce as quickly as they're dying off. Thus the wrinkles, thus the cancers, thus the... We just run out. But before the flood, we lived to be a thousand years old. Abraham, of course, not being that far after the flood, we find him living uh, well into uh, his... Um, mid mid uh, hundreds Sarah 127 years old and so when she dies it leaves that woman's touch that void in the home and so chapter 24 we'll pick up the story here because we deal chapter 23 with some lineages there and Sarah's death the burial spot for for Sarah and where she was to be buried at. So now as we go into chapter 24, now Abraham was old. Yeah, he was. Probably somewhere around 139, 140 years old. He was getting old here. Well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. I do believe that a person who has given their life to God is blessed. I've seen it over and over again. Those who people is God is the Lord are happy. They're blessed. Abraham was this individual. He had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and swear to me by the Lord God of heaven 
and the Lord God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites on whom I dwell. Every father, I believe, that truly loves his children does not want to see them pick a bad spouse. I think we all realize the repercussions. And if you have had the unfortunate experience of experiencing that, you know exactly what Abraham is talking about here. He said, don't pick a heathen for my son. Now he says to his servant, interesting here, Eliezer, as we have been studying in the past, was Abraham's chief servant. But it's interesting that he's not named here. Eliezer means literally one who helps. Now the servant, if it is Eliezer, it is interesting to me that one who helps is the one that's going to go out and find a wife for Abraham's son. There's a stark parallel here. Again, just as we found back in chapter 22, you're going to find in chapter 24 that the Holy Spirit has gone out into the world to find a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. Unnamed Holy Spirit. Now, if it is Eliezer, one who helps, it's interesting, in the New Testament, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, his name really means one who will walk walk alongside of us. He, He paracletes with us, is the word in the Greek, which means literally he helps us through this life. And so this unnamed servant now is being commissioned by Abraham, a picture of our father in heaven, to go find his son a bride. It is interesting that the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. At least I pray you are if you're born again here today. That's who you are. By the way, if you don't remember that, the devil will play games with your head. (coughs) The devil will say, You're nobody unless you wash your teeth with shiny bright. You're nobody unless you drive the new Americanus Maximus with Airco and tinted glass. You're nobody unless you wear Gucci. There's all kinds of things the devil will play upon. But when you know who you are, you belong to God, God belongs to you, you're pretty much immovable. In other words, I, you cannot be manipulated by the lies of the world and the lies of the devil. If you really want to be accepted, You'll do what everybody else is doing. God's not called me to do what everybody else is doing. God's called me to be about you, to be about our Father's business in heaven. This is why Jesus said, when he taught the disciples to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. It's interesting, again, God wants us as his children to relate to him, not as some unknowable God in the outmost, out, you know, beyond the stratosphere. He wants us to relate with God as our Father, Daddy. What do you want me to do for you today? doesn't matter what the world's doing. What matters is what God wants you and me to do. So he says, I want you to swear that you won't take a wife from the world. That's true. You know, when you stop to think about it, the Bible says two can't walk together unless they're in agreement. And so we have to be about our father's business. Now, it's interesting that this unnamed servant, again, picture type of the Holy Spirit, going out into the world to find a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Never forget that. That's so important. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit going out 
searching that tells me that God is looking for us. I like that. Well, Mike, if the Holy Spirit's searching for us, that would imply we're lost. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Jesus said, which one of you, having uh, the shepherd of having a hundred sheep, if one is missing, he doesn't go out, he leaves the ninety and nine and goes out and finds the one that's gone astray. And the Bible says carrying the sheep back when he finds it, puts it back into the fold again. You see, a lot of times in this life, we will wander off, believing the lies of the world, sometimes intentional, sometimes we're snookered. You look in the Bible, you see Eve was snookered. Hey, why don't you eat of the tree? Uh, Well, we're not supposed to. Oh, God just don't want you to be as smart as he is. Sometimes we're just misled. But Jesus goes and finds us and brings us back. That's one of the great things about a loving God and a loving shepherd. Now again, When we look at this and the significance of this story, I believe it shines a lot of light on a lot of things because, again, the Bible calls us his bride. A lot of people wonder about the whole fall of man. And from what we can gather when we read the Bible, God put man in a beautiful garden. Everything was perfect. Perfect food, perfect environment, you know, perfect climate. As I get older, perfect climate means a lot. Hawaii looks better and better. 82, 72, 82, Every day. I think being a weatherman in a wide would be the boringest thing in the world. It's always the same. Flat. Unless there's a monsoon, hurricane, or some other thing. Giant volcanoes in the Earth's surface. I don't know. But whatever it is, things change. But the point is, is this. Perfect environment. The Bible says it was good. Evidently, sometime between the finish of creation which the Bible said he saw it was very good, which would imply no evil devil snakes in the garden, anything like that. It was very good. But then the Bible says somewhere there was a war in heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14, Satan said, I will be as God. And what's interesting to me is a third of the angels, a third of the stars, the Bible said, joined in his revolt. Why? Well, I don't know exactly all the details. The Bible says that God created Lucifer lower than the angel, excuse me, lower than human beings. The angels were created above the angel. Human beings were created below the angels. But then those that would believe in him, the Bible says he would elevate human beings above the angels. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, don't you know someday you'll judge angels. I don't believe that set well with Lucifer, and I don't think it set well with a third of the host of heaven. And the Bible says they revolted against, they revolted against the Lord. And we found that they were displaced out of heaven. Their access is not completely withdrawn, but it will be um, in the days to come. The point is this. God will take you and me as human beings, and because we believe in him, elevate us above the angel and call us his bride. This is why it's so important. So, here we find the story. But you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman I will meet will not be willing to follow me to this land. 
Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. It is interesting that the father says that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, gathers us to go to him. It isn't that Jesus is going to come to us to look for his bride. It's true. It's just what follows identical. Don't take my son back there. Verse 7, the Lord, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me, swore to me, saying, to your descendants, I will give you this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. It's interesting, Abraham's faith, knowing that God was going to take care of the issue. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Again, said, there, said that twice. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. Um, and all the master's goods were in his hand. He arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well at evening time when the women come out to draw water. Now, this is an interesting thing. He, he, he goes up, he shows up, he doesn't know what he's doing. I, I'm a lot like real ministry. You don't know what you're doing. You just show up. He shows up. Goes to where this is supposed to happen. Now, really important, there's an old saying, how much do you do and how much does God do? Well, you know, I, I think it's different in every situation, but I will tell you, faith without feet doesn't work. You know, in other words, if I'm looking for a job and I'm laying on the couch eating a bag of Doritos watching TV, well, God, if you want me to get a job, have that phone ring right there and I'll go to work. That's the way it works. We pray, we ask God to open the doors, but then we step out in faith and do something. The unnamed servant goes to the land of Mesopotamia, the land of Nahor. These are Abraham's, the area of Abraham's relatives. And so he says, he made his camels kneel down, so he was going to stay there for a bit. And notice, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. And by the way, I do believe whenever you pray for somebody else, I think that really blesses daddy. I just do. Moms and dads, if you've got kids and your child comes up and says, Mommy, can I have an ice cream? And you say, well, you, you just had an ice cream. No, I want it for my sister or my brother. That really blesses you. That, that shows the vision of their life is beyond just themselves, but they're looking at other people. Now, we're going to see the importance of this as we, we look on, because I think for many people, they miss opportunity by not being sensitive to their surroundings. Let me say that again. By not being sensitive to where we're at, not being aware of what you're doing, I think we can miss a lot of opportunity that God would provide for us. 
In other words, being sensitive to our placement right now in life. Rather than complaining about it, saying, okay, God, you have me right here for a reason. First of all, we have to understand a couple of things. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, no longer I live, Paul says, but Christ who lives within me. It changes the focus of our life from being self-centered to Christ-centered. That's why it's difficult, if not impossible, to marry or to be in business or to be a co-laborer oftentimes in a business with somebody that is not a Christian. Because you as a Christian, your purpose in life is to serve God. Their purpose in life is to serve themselves. you got two different directions going here. And two, the Bible says, can't walk together unless they're in agreement. So you're going to always find the tug of war going on. But when two people walk in the same venue, they're both serving God, you're going to find a blending of heart, you're going to find a blending of purpose, and you will help each other through this life. That's why it's so important. Now he says, and he begins to pray, he says, Lord, help. I like that. He took feet to his faith, he got to Mesopotamia, the land of Nahor, his, uh, Abraham's relatives. He gets there, and while he's there, he begins to pray. Now notice what it says. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. They would do this in the, in the evening when it's cooler, And they would come to draw water for the house. They didn't have indoor plumbing. And so they would bring the water. And they used water all the time. And washing their feet, washing their hands, cooking, all those things. So they would always, it was always a daily journey to go get water. And it says, Now let it be, verse 14, that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. She says, Drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And this will I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened, verse 15, get this, I underlined it in my Bible, before she had finished speaking. Wow. Before she was done praying, God answered his prayer. Now, I like that because I really like instantaneous answers from God on praying. Okay, I like that. But sometimes God says, wait. And thank God, sometimes God says, no. I've learned as a Christian, as I get older in my life, I am as thankful when I pray and God says no, as much as I am when he says yes. Because if God says no, he knows more about what I'm asking about than I do, and he's keeping me from making some really dumb thing, really dumb mistakes. He says, behold, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with a pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, Drink, my lord. Then she hastened and gave her pit, and, and let her pitcher down 
by her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, and again, this is why I believe being a servant is so important. I, I think we, we rob ourselves a lot of many blessings because we're selfish or we're unaware of our presence where we're at. Notice what she says. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. By the way, this was a lot of work. Camels could drink a lot of water and there was 10 of them. So this was not some little trite thing of, oh yeah, and here's a, here's a DeSante for your camels. <laughs> you know, no, it, it was an all, it probably took maybe more than a couple hours. To, but this is what's so amazing. Notice. Then she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondered at her, remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was... When the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring, weighing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, whose little daughter are you? (laughs) Wow. Now you stop to think about this. We kind of breeze over this. He gives her a nose ring in today's value worth about $900. You just watered my camels. Here's $900. Oh, and by the way, these two other bracelets, these are worth 9000 This girl, because she watered the unnamed servant's camels, just made herself $10,000 in today's money. A shekel is about a half an ounce of gold. A quarter shekel, of course, quarter ounce. And so a half shekel, um, half shekel, about a... About a Well, anyway, I figured it out based on $1,800 an ounce for gold. If you have gold, it's went up a lot. About, uh, she made about $10,000 for watering those camels. Simply because she was aware of her sins. She looked at this guy, he probably didn't have a pitcher or nothing to draw with. By the way, lots of interesting things happened around wells in those days. Wherever there's water, there's life. You go out in the desert, if there's spring out there, you'll find maybe a tree, oasis, or whatever, and you'll find birds and all kinds of stuff around there because water brings life. This girl was a water bearer. You as well are water bearers. Jesus said, out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. Why? We have a dry and thirsty land out here we call the world that needs a drink. And they need a drink of something that's going to do them good. See, the problem is today we're in a land of thirst. The Bible says not for food, not for water, but for the word of God. And so anyway, she waters all the camels and he in turn gives her about 10 grand. Wow, that was a pretty good deal. So it says, and and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room at your father's house for us to lodge? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, 
whom she bore to Nahor. And as soon as she said the word Nahor, he knew who it was. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room for you to lodge. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. He knew God had answered his prayer. And he said, Blessed be the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy, his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And so the young woman ran and told these things uh, of, of her mother's house, these things. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Now we're going we're gonna to find out more about Laban as he gets older, but Laban was kind of a greedy guy. He, just, he always had an eye for, for these kinds of things. And Laban, if you remember, go back about the whole thing of, of um, when uh, Jacob gets his wife, uh, Rachel and Leah, you, you remember that. Well, anyway, Laban ran out to the man by the well. Why did he run out there? It came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebecca, saying, the man who spoke to me, uh, he went to the man and here he stood by the camels at the well. I, Laban saw all the gold and goes, woo, what's in it for me? Boom, he goes right out there and meets this guy. This guy's giving away money, man. You know, thought he probably got on prices right or something. I don't know, but he was getting giving away a lot of money. Hey, my sister goes out, waters camels, goes to the well to get water for us, ends up watering guy's camel, makes 10 grand. I want to know this guy. Well, says... So it came to pass when he saw the nose rings. And that, again, was the hook that got him. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared a house and a place for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he saw, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw for the feed and the camels, water to wash his feet uh, and, the, and the feet of the men who were with him. And food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have spoken to you about my errand. And they said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. That would probably be like saying, gave him Mercedes and Porsches. I don't know. But he was saying, the guy's got a lot of money. Okay? And he says, And Sarah, my wife's master, bore a son when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now, my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in the land who I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But then he said to me, The Lord, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you, and you shall prosper on your way, and you shall take a wife for my son, for my kindred, and from my father's house. It's funny that God, many times it spoke to Abraham. And the Bible says that God attributed his faith as righteousness. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, again, as I said earlier, if you're a child of God, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you belong to God. That's who you are. You belong to God. Again, don't believe the lies of the world. You're nothing until you buy our thing. You belong to God. And if you belong to God, God meters to you and me according to his best wishes. Now, I know this is where faith comes in. Because God, if you love me, why am I going through this hell right now? Well, that's the way we interpret it. But not the way God interprets it. When God puts his foot on the brake pedal for us, there's a reason why. I've seen this many times in ministry and in my own personal life. We had a piece of property over on Elizabeth many years ago. And we wanted to sell it. We had it listed for over a year. I think it was $70,000. Nobody bought it. Realtor calls me and says it's about ready to go out of our listing. Do you want to lower the price? And I thought, God, it's just, I, I thought you want us to build this out here. And what? What's going on? And it was like the Lord spoke to me, don't lower the price, double the price. This is good. If it doesn't sell for $70,000, then I'm going to double it for one forty. Yeah. But you know, I felt that unction from God. And I said, I told the realtor that, and the realtor laughed at me. And so that's what happened. And about a couple months later, we had a buyer and we were an escrow at that price. And I thought, isn't it funny? The very thing I was complaining about, God, you're not letting this sell, is the very thing God's saying, no, I really want to bless you. I'm not letting it sell because I got a better blessing for you. Trust me on this. When you become a Christian, your life is no longer random happenstance, luck of the draw. But your life is now in God's hand. That's what happens when you turn your life over to Christ. You turn the title deed, the pink slip, if you will, of your life over to God. And God now begins to minister to you through the circumstances around us. And this is where faith comes in saying, okay, God, I may not understand it, but I'm going to trust you. Listen, God has never told me to understand everything he's doing, nor you. But God has told me to trust him. Okay, so if God closes a door, expect another one to open. A closed door from God is not the end of the story. A closed door from God is the beginning of the other doors God's going to open for you. So don't get ripped off by the devil saying, yep, God closed the door. Yeah, that's what you get when you pray. It's like, uh, like what was it? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey goes in the bar and, and he prays. And then the guy hits him in the mouth and goes, yeah, I prayed and I got hit in the jaw. That's what a lot of times we think. But if God closes a door, he's going to open something else that he wants you to do. That's how God directs us and guides us. Is now not random happenstance circumstances, but now divine appointments from God and being aware of your surroundings. Now, how do we become aware of our surroundings? That sounds really motivational speaking, doesn't it? It's not. 
The Bible says to give thanks in all things. This is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. The property isn't selling. God, where are you? But rather give thanks and okay, God, it's not selling. Don't know why it's not selling. It's your problem, not mine. I'm your kid. You see, that's one of the things about becoming a Christian. I leave the position of the driver's seat. I get out of the car. I go and I get in the... Have you ever seen that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I don't want that. I want you to drive. I will get in the back seat. I don't want to be sitting in the passenger side trying to... No, God, we're going to turn over here. You ever done that? You ever drove to California through Nevada, which when God made it, he made a lot of it. When you cross the border into Nevada, it looks the same as when you leave it down in Southern California. Okay, it's all the same. But you're going through the desert and all of a sudden you'll have your sweetheart reach over and be driving the steering wheel while you're doing something and wrapping some Oreos or whatever. It doesn't work very good. But when you completely allow God, say, okay, God, now you're going to drive and the circumstances, and if you close the door, I'm going to thank you for it. I don't understand why you said no, but I'm going to thank you for it. Do you know what that does to you? Freeze you up. Now, again, you can sit there and bite your nails all night. What if this happens? What if that happens? What am I going to do? Or you can just say, okay, God, I'm your kid now. I turn the title deed of my life over to you. I'm not driving anymore. I'm in the backseat. I'll go. I'll show up where you want me to show up. But you got to do your work. So, the Lord has blessed my master greatly. Sarah, my wife's master, bore a son in his old age. Now my master has made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son and the daughter of the Canaanites in the land whom you dwell. Verse 38, But you shall go to my father's house, my kindred, and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps a woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before you, whom I walk, will send his angel to you, proper, uh, prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son, for my kindred, and for my father's house. And you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my kindred, if she will not, um, not give her to you, then you shall be released from this oath. And on this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God, my master of Abraham, you will know now prosper which I go. Behold, I will stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass when a virgin comes out to draw water. I will say to her, please give me a little water for my, from your pitcher to drink. And she said to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom which the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking, in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher, on her shoulder and she went down to the well and drew water and I said to her please let me drink and she hastened and gave me a pitcher from which uh, from her shoulder and said drink and I'll give your camels drink also so I drank she gave the camels drink also then I said to her whose daughter are you and she said 
the daughter of Bethel, Naor's son, whom Malchah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and bracelets on her feet. Uh, on a wrist, excuse me. And I bowed my head, worshiped the Lord, and blessed the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who led me in the way of truth and to make the daughter of my master, uh, my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may Turn to the right or to the left. In other words, I don't want to eat anything until I get an answer here. Have you ever been in angst like that? You know something's going to happen and somebody says, well, it's, no, 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 no. I want to know. I want to know. Ooh, are you going to go with me or not? Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or or bad nor good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abram's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. I imagine this was probably quite a sight. Ten camels, a bunch of servants, this unnamed servant, the chief spokesman. When he heard that the girl would go with him, in front of everybody, he just gets down and starts worshiping God. By the way, never fail to give God worship and glory for when he does something good for you. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver and jewelry of gold and clothing and gave it to them, to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother Laban and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, stayed all night. And they arose in the morning and said, send me on my way uh, to my master. But, the, but her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. Uh, uh, after that, she may go. In other words, we're probably not going to see her again. Let's spend another week with her. Uh, we really don't want her to go so fast. And he said to them, don't hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so I may go to my master. And say, said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Now this is really important because I think this is in the whole picture of being born again. This is what it is. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Will you go with the Holy Spirit to be a bride for Jesus? And she said, I will go. Now think about this for a minute. She had never seen Isaac. She had never been to his land. Never saw his wealth. Never saw anything. All she had was a recommendation from, a, from this unnamed servant. You see, you've never seen Jesus face to face. You've heard about him by the Holy Spirit, this wonderful place that Jesus has and has gone to prepare a place for us, as, as it says in John 14. He, he, God has all these things for us. God has given us many gifts. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit, of hope and peace and joy and empowerments from the Holy Spirit. But notice it says, I will go. Man, talk about a love story. I, I remember this. Again, people have asked the question, well, if God ultimately knows who's going to pick him and who doesn't, why do we have to go through this zoo called living? Pretty simple. Because God gives all of us an opportunity to accept or reject. 
Well, how do you know if someone really loves you? I heard it said like this one time that this prince wanted a bride. And so rather than just flirting with all the other girls of the kingdom that were well-to-do, he said, I don't know if they really love me because of me or what I have. So he put on pauper's clothes. He dressed in rags and went into the local villages and intermingled with the people. Met a girl and the girl fell in love with him and he fell in love with her. And so after their wedding, on their way home, they begin to leave town. And she says, but I, I, I thought you, you lived here. He goes, I do. And as they went past the shambles and everything, as they're going up towards the palace, she says, what are we going up here for? And he pulled off his rags and said, I'm the king's son. And I had to find somebody that I knew really loved me for who I am, not for what I had. It's the way it is. You see, this is why the Holy Spirit goes out. And us never have ever seen Jesus face to face. We've chose to go with invisible Holy Spirit. He's given us an endowery, you might say, of, of the gifts of the Spirit, joy and peace and love and understanding God's purpose for our life. And we're on our way. And then someday soon, we're going to see him. The Bible says face to face, we'll see him as he is. And so they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, evidently these people had some, of, of some kind of wealth to have a personal nurse or assistant. And Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of tens of thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose. They rode on camels. By the way, it was a long journey. You know, it wasn't like, well, we'll just go down and get on a plane and fly. No, going through a big, long, hard, hot desert, dirty. You think about us on our way to see Jesus. Sometimes the journey has been kind of dirty, hasn't it? Been kind of hard. Been kind of dry. Her maids arose, rode on the camels, and followed the man. And the servants took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer uh, Light Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is this young man coming from the field to meet us? And the servant said, This is my master. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her, in, brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent. And, she took, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her, so Isaac was comforted. After his mother's death. God's timing is perfect, friends. You see, that's who you are. An unnamed servant knocked on the door of your heart and said, Will you come? And when you accepted Christ, you said, I'll come. I've never seen Jesus face to face. I've heard great things about him. I've seen a lot of his things that he's done. I see his servant. And you've chosen to go with him. This morning is communion. Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. 
And as he had this, it was a a picture of when the death angel came through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn of all of Egypt because they did not believe. Listen, there's something far greater than the death of the firstborn if we're not in Christ. And that's the death of you. And Jesus, so he's there, he did these things so we could be adopted into his family. We could become his bride. That's why this story is so important because it's an exact picture of how God has gone into the world to bring you into his kingdom. This morning as we have communion, first, if you're not a Christian, it's a meaningless ritual. If you are a Christian, let me tell you about some of the gold bracelets here, okay? Some of the advantages of belonging to God. Peter says, by his stripes, we were healed. Now, important to remember this. You, me, were very complex beings. No one's ever been like you on this earth ever before. No one will ever be like you ever again. And no one knows you like your daddy in heaven. He knows what you need. And what's important to understand is that through this life, We become damaged. Have you noticed that? People told you they loved you and they burned you. We realize that we burned others. We're damaged goods, friends. The good news is, Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he broke the unleavened bread. And he passed it around to his disciples. Peter tells us, quoting the Old Testament, by his stripes, we are healed. What do you need healing for today? What do you want God to start brand new in your life? Is it your ability to love? Is it your ability to be loved? Is it your memories when you lay your head on your pillow at night? Those things that go through your head over and over again and wake you up at three o'clock in the morning almost regularly and haunt you, you need to be healed. Maybe it's your body that needs to be healed. Maybe it's not working right. Maybe it's the way you view others. Maybe it's your ability to love. Maybe it's something else. By his stripes we're healed. That's for you today. That's one of the gold bracelets. Another one of the gold bracelets, and it's interesting that there was two. And there's two things that Jesus gave us in that communion service. He gave us the cup and he gave us the bracelet. He gave us the bread. The cup is that you've been saved. You've been set apart. You're his for his purpose. I like that. God made you special and redeemed you from the world. You are separated from the world. You're his child because of the blood. And then God maintenances us through the bread. This morning, you need to be maintenanced. If God isn't your daddy, then what is? If God ain't rebuilding you, what is rebuilding you? The world? No wonder we're all so messed up. But when you come to Christ, our Father, which art in heaven, your daddy in heaven, says, I'm going to rebuild you. And I'm going to love you. See, religion never offers that. Religion says, get out on the airport, wear orange, sell, you know, uh, sell literature door to door, um, join our church, jump through the hoops, all that. That's religion. 
But when you become a Christian, it becomes a personal relationship with your Father in Heaven. That's what religion doesn't offer. Not religion, relationship. Not legalism, love. That's what you need. And that's what God does. He rebuilds us. He causes us to be aware of who we are. Wow, God, I'm in you now. And then I can begin to focus on other things around me because I don't have, always have to be looking out for number one, me. But now I know God's watching out for me. Now I can be aware of the camels around me. Let God bless you this morning. If you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you can ask God to come in your life and change you. And you become his kid. And as the Holy Spirit would knock on the door of your heart right now and saying, will you come to heaven? You can say, I'll go. So if you want to get right with God, you're tired of living it your way. You need a new start. This is your day. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus name. And I invite you into my life today. I want to go to heaven. Forgive my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and took away my sins. From this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I'll have a love for the lost and boldness from you. And God, put your golden bracelets on me. And thank you for eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that welcome to God's family. Start reading your Bible. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Real simple. You just read. And start in the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Start in chapter 3 and just read. Get acquainted with your Father's voice. We'll have a baptism as soon as we can. And then be in fellowship. That's going to help. We're not quarantined here. You can be in fellowship. That's a good thing. And just let God bless you every single day. That's what he wants to do. If you've been a Christian, keep walking in the Lord. Don't stop. Be sensitive to things around you. These are opportunities for you as a child of God to minister to those things. Don't miss them. They're there. This morning as we have communion, if you're now a Christian, you're welcome to have communion. The cup represents his blood that was shed for you. The broken bread is for your healing. What do you need to be healed of inside right now? What memories, what thoughts, what abilities that you know have gone awry, those things that bother you at night? Please, that's what the bread's for. Be healed in Jesus' name. And he will. If I can have the fellows come forward and we'll have communion. Letting God be God, as you hold the cup in your hand, realize you're valuable. Somebody died for you, and it was God. And as you hold the bread, and you'll notice the bread has all got real rough edges around it because it's broken. Jesus said he broke the bread and handed it to him. You think about those rough edges. Maybe that's maybe a little bit of the way your heart might be this morning a little bit. Let God heal you this morning. The Bible says he will.